0: Today, like, we're going to talk about something today, and not everyone's going to agree with me, and that's okay. Again, this is free to be wrong, and and so, like, and but I'm okay if we don't all agree on this. But I do think it's important, and my hope today is not to get everyone to to agree with my point. My hope is to challenge us all, that we leave here today, and at least reflect on what we believe and why we believe it, and and just maybe challenge ourselves to to maybe allow God to be more than who we think he is right now. So again, it's, it's okay if you don't, don't agree with me, just do it slightly. And if you, do it, if you disagree publicly at the cafe, someone will tell me and I'll know. But the Bible doesn't always make sense. I mean, for, for most of us, at some point in our lives we were given a Bible, and I, y'all, I know I've got some nasal congestion, so you won't get my normally deep, sexy voice, but this'll work. <laughs> This will work for today. I have what, what Katie Neal called a pathetic man cold, which means I've been whining about my sickness for a week. Y'all know what I'm talking about, ladies? Men do not do colds well, uh, whatever. So at some point, most of us were given a Bible, right? And we were told a few things. We were basically told, this is it, it's God's word, believe it, do it, and don't question it, right? And so that no one really taught us how to read it, or what to do with it, just believe it, here it is, it's all true, don't question any of it, if you question it, you're a heathen. I mean, so that's basically the information we got. And and then some, that worked when we were little kids, but then many of us grew up, and maybe this is year of the Bible, and this is your first time that you're actually reading it. We have a lot of people in this room who, the first time in their life you're reading the Bible, and you're reading through this, and, and you're hitting some things, especially since we're reading the Old Testament and the New Testament, you're reading some things and you're going, this don't add up. This just doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I don't even know what to do. The, this part of the book says stoner, and this part of the book says he who is without sin should cast the first stone. And I've got this rock, and I don't know. I mean, should I throw it or should I put it in my pocket? Right? You're just, we're all just walking around with pocketfuls of rocks because we don't know whether to throw them or keep them. Or maybe you're like, you know, I really love Jesus, but I really like pork. <laughs> these, these Levitical laws, I'm just... I'm not sure I mean I like shellfish but you know I don't know it says not to eat it, and I really want to get a tattoo but then will I be able to be a pastor yes <laughs> I mean so we don't know what to like which of these 700 laws and this old part do I follow because this new part it seems to be some kind. I just don't know what to do so I get a little confused Am I supposed to follow all these 700? Or better yet, which of these 700 laws should I make you follow? Because I'm not going to follow them all. So we get confused. And maybe we kind of begin to, to question. Or maybe at some point someone comes along and somewhere in your life and they challenge something about the Old Testament. They're like, you go to church? You really believe that there was an ark And he packed all these people on me. You really believe that? And you're like, well, I think so. No one's ever, I don't know. And and, and maybe someone somehow begins to make you doubt something from the Old Testament. Maybe they begin to make you doubt that there's this earth that was created in seven days. and, And you begin to feel bad because you doubt it. But then you begin to wonder, hold on, do I really believe in Jesus at all? Because if I doubt this arc story, if I don't believe this creation story, then do I really believe any? Do I have to believe all of it to believe any of it? And so you, you begin to question your own belief. And if this hasn't happened to you before, it happens to a lot of kids in high school and college. If it hasn't happened to you, it will happen to your kids. If it doesn't happen to them, it will happen to the kids' kids. But somewhere along the way, someone's going to question your faith. And they're normally gonna do it by attacking the Old Testament. And if you don't understand what to do, it can begin to to confuse you. Or worse than those two things, maybe some Christian, you read something on Facebook, some Christian is attacking someone else's political beliefs and they're using it by weaving in Old Testament and New Testament together to create this theology that basically says, I'm right and you're wrong. Right, they're pulling from the Old Testament, they're like, ah, this, and they're pulling from the New Testament, ah, this, and you're like, I don't even know, this is a lot of weight, there's so much, and they're just throwing, as my friend likes to call them, Bible darts all over the place, and you're like, man, I don't even know what to do, because they're just weaving in Old Testament, and New Testament, and you're like, man, you know what, no. And these things, they can begin to erode our faith because we were handed this book and said, read it, believe it, don't question it. And no one ever really taught us what to do with it. And that you read it is important. But it also matters how you read it because it's a story and it's all together. But you need to understand what's happening, where and when. I mean, like, this is basically divided up into three different covenants, right? And the first part is a covenant between God and a man, and the man was Abraham. And the second part is a covenant between God and a nation, and the nation was Israel. And the third part is a covenant between God and the rest of us, God and the rest of the world. So the first part of this book, up until Acts 10, which if you're doing Year of the Bible, you got to this week, up until about Acts 10, this is a Jewish story primarily. Or it's easy to see why you'd think it's a story just for the Jews, Because it's pretty much about God and the Jews, right? Up until Acts 10, you're reading this, and it is all about God and the Jews. It's God and his relationship with this nation of Israel and what he's doing. He's protecting them. He's preserving them. And that is the story that you're reading. It's centered around Jewish people. So a little background where we're going today. Um, So... We need to understand some things about, about the Bible. And in Acts chapter 10 through 15, something so remarkable and so incredible happens. There's this conversation that takes place. And it begins with Peter having a dream and it sort of, it sort of climaxes at the, at, the, at the council of Jerusalem. But in this conversation, the same things that I just outlined that we might struggle with at some point they sort of resolved for us on how to handle them. And so if you've ever had any of those things happen to you that I opened up this thing with, today you're going to understand why reading the Bible and understanding the Bible matters so much. Because in Acts chapter 15, they address these things. So you remember guys from the last few weeks, let's get caught up to where we are. There's 5,000 people who now believe that this Jew died on the cross, resurrected from the grave, that he is the promised Messiah, that he is the Lord and the savior. And all 5,000 of these people are Jewish, right? They all live in and around Jerusalem. They've accepted Jesus, but they're all Jewish people who have now become Christians. And because 5,000 Jewish people are now embracing a new style of life, it is upsetting the religious system. So the powers that be, the, 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 the temple leaders, all those people, they don't like this. They don't like that 5,000 of their people have now become something else. So they begin to persecute them. And so at, at like the, the height of the persecution, this man named Stephen, who's this follower of a group called The Way, which is what these Christians are called, these Jewish Christians are called The Way, they stone Stephen to death. You remember this? We talked about this the other day. They stone Stephen to death. And when that happens, the believers begin to scatter. So you've got Stephen killed. You've got 5,000 Jews who have converted to now believing in Jesus, not called Christians yet. They've converted to a group called the Way, which are followers of the resurrected Christ. They begin to scatter out from Jerusalem and Judea, going into other places. But everywhere they're going, they're still just talking to Jews. They're going to all these different places and they're finding other Jews, other people like them and they're telling the other people like them about this Jesus. So more and more Jews are now becoming Christians. Well, at some point, Paul and Barnabas, y'all remember Paul, he was Saul and he was the killer of Christians. He's, he's now a good guy, he's converted. And so they go to a city called Antioch, all right? And Antioch is where they're first called Christians. And Paul and Barnabas start this church where they invite people in who aren't Jews. They invite Greeks in. And they do it by saying, you can come to church with us and you don't have to be circumcised. (laughs) It's a great marketing campaign. (laughs) It's fantastic. Because up until this point, all the, all the Jewish Christians, the Jewish Christians actually called themselves circumcised Christians. Like we are the circumcised Christians. That was their little group name. That's a Sunday school class name. Somebody should start that. Area. Come join us in room 301, circumcised Christians. But that, that, that was their group, right? And so they, they were the circumcised. And now Paul and Barnabas are like, hey, you can come worship with us. Not necessary. Their sign actually had a pair of scissors with a big red mark through it. It was like, come hang out with us. You don't even, you don't have to have this to get all of this, right? And so people were like, yeah, I'm in. Husbands are like, you know what, honey, I'm going to go to church this Sunday. Honey, why won't you go? Oh, yeah, I'll go to that one. <laughs> I'm in, right? So, so people start coming, and their church is getting full, and their church is getting popular. Because all these Greeks are coming and they're not making them follow Jewish customs. Well, so that's happening at Antioch. So Antioch's over here. Well, back here at Jerusalem, the circumcised Christians hear about what's going on over here in Antioch and they don't like it. They're like, no, no, no. They can't come to church if they don't follow our rules. So the church in Jerusalem sends some people behind Paul and Barnabas' back to have a conversation with the new Greek converts and listen to what they tell them in Acts chapter 15. In Acts 15, it says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you will not be saved. They're like, whoa, whoa, what? So these guys come to Paul's church these circumcised Christians come to Paul's church and start telling his new Greek converts, you gotta get circumcised. Paul didn't tell you the whole story. You can have this Jesus thing. You gotta have this if you want all of this. And they're like, oh, always a catch, right? And so Paul and Barnabas hear about this and they're like, what are you doing? Because now they're saying you've got to get like us if you're going to be like us. You got to do what we do to experience Jesus. Aren't you glad churches don't do this anymore? You got to you got to talk like us. You got to wear. You got to do. You got to get like us before you can receive Jesus. So Paul and Barnabas they don't like this. So they call this meeting. Okay, and this this is in, in verse two. It says this. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute. And debate with them, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So in Jerusalem, you've got guys like John who knew Jesus firsthand. He's an apostle. He's an elder. This is 15 years after the resurrection of Christ. These guys knew Jesus. They have no New Testament. No, they're, they're making this up as they go along as far as what to do. But these are guys who knew Jesus. In Jerusalem, you have James. The brother of Jesus. He's now the head of the church. Andy Stanley always says this when he talks about James, and I think it's hilarious. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the son of God? Like my brother convinced my mom that he was the son of God, but he did not convince his other brothers. It's totally different. We convinced my mom of a lot of things. (laughs) I love you. But James convinced his brother Jesus, or Jesus convinced James he was the son of God. So so James is one of the elders in this church. You got John, you uh, you got people who knew Jesus. They're back there. You got Peter, the rock on which the church is built. So Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem to have a meeting with Peter and John and James and the circumcised Christians, this other group. So now you've got a massive church council meeting has broken out. It was only a matter of time. They, they had to meet. They had to call a meeting. And so now they're all in this meeting, and everyone's got their opinions, and everyone's saying, you know, and basically what they're doing in this meeting is they're deciding what our relationship will be with the Old Testament. In this meeting, they're deciding what Gentile, non-Jew relationships will be with the Old Testament. How will we respond to the law and the prophets? What would the Old Testament mean in our lives? That's what this meeting's about. So you got all these groups. You can imagine. I mean, y'all have been in church long enough to know how Christians do. We get in meetings. So all this is happening, right? And so at some point in verse 5, it says this. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up. The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. All right, this is incredible. Then some of the believers who belong to the party of the what are they doing there? Do you remember Jesus' relationship with the Pharisees? Like, they did not get along well. Now Pharisees believe in Jesus Christ. Did they, did they start believing in him because of a sermon? Did they start believing in Jesus because of what Paul said? They're the only reason a Pharisee would ever believe in Jesus is if they had seen him resurrected. You want evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? A Pharisee was at the board meeting. That's, that's evidence right there. But the Pharisees are doing what they've always done, right? They're bringing their tradition and their custom into this new thing and saying, okay, we want you in, but you must do what we do. We want this new thing to look a lot like this old thing. Y'all know how often this still happens when people go church to church? I'm, not, like, I'm just going to look at the ground while I tell this story. But people come to this church on a regular basis and they say something to me like this, man, I love this church. But let me tell you what my pastor did at the old church. And I'm like, I always wanna respond. This is how I want to respond, I don't because I'm so full of grace. I always always wanna respond by saying, is there still room for you at your old church? But I don't and and I won't. But now you know what I'm thinking. (laughs) Shouldn't have said that. But I mean, so, so we, we want to take our old stuff and blend it with the new So that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're wanting to, they're wanting to make it comfortable. They want their God back in a box that makes sense. Because this whole idea of you're letting uncircumcised Greeks in, ah, no. We need our God in a box with rules and you must do this, 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 and this to get in. And that makes sense to us and that makes us comfortable because that's what we've always done, right? And so that's what's going on. And then... So you got the, you got this heated conversation going in this room. You, you can sense it. it, it people, are, people are getting uncomfortable. And then after much discussion in verse 7, Peter, who holds some clout in the room because he's the rock on which the church was built. And don't think he didn't tell that story a lot. <laughs> don't think at every meeting he didn't start with, by the way, uh, Peter here, rock on which the church was built. Let me go ahead and address this situation. And so Peter says, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, brothers. You know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. The Gentiles, you know that some time ago God made a choice that non-Jews might hear and believe. God who knows the heart It's not about what we've done. It says they are saved just like us. Peter spent three years walking with Jesus Christ, but it took him 15 years after Christ resurrected to get to this point where he believed that everyone had access to Jesus. Everyone who would call on the name of Jesus would have access to Jesus. He began to believe this. And Peter was a Jew. A Jew who grew up believing the Messiah was going to come and liberate Jerusalem, that Israel would reign over everybody, that that this would be a kingdom established. A Jew who believed the Messiah was coming to kill the Romans and give him authority. A Jew who believed the Messiah was coming for Jews. And now Peter begins to believe that the God of Abraham, Jew, was the God of Isaac, Jew, was the God of Jacob Jew, was the God of Israel Jews, was the God who so loved the world. And everything began to change. Do you know what a shift it was for a Jew to believe that Gentiles were worthy of grace? Guys, listen to this. Listen. I'm not telling you what to do with this and I'm not attacking anyone's political beliefs because I've got some squirrely ones. But but, but when we read stuff like this, it must make us question why we believe what we believe. If everyone is a potential temple of the Holy Spirit, then we must challenge our belief on how we feel about the people on the other side of the wall. We must at least, I'm not not, not attacking anybody, we must challenge the way we feel about immigration. We must challenge the way we feel about self-preservation. We must challenge the way we feel about other people if we believe that God so loved the world and that world is bigger than me and people who look like me and talk like me and act like me and believe like me. We must begin to challenge our beliefs outside of what makes us comfortable. If we believe. And it's not easy because from generations... We've been programmed to believe a certain way, right? So were they. Yeah. It took him 15 years after he encountered a resurrected Savior before he truly began to believe that God was available to everyone. How long is it going to take you? How long is it going to take us for the prejudice to actually begin to fall away? In verse 11, he says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. This is a huge shift in the book, guys. You have to see what's going on. This is, this is massive. and it, 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 it's, it must be a shift that's still happening in the church. An understanding that beyond our walls, our, our potential kingdoms of the Holy Spirit <laughs> That every single person we encounter was designed in the image of God, designed to receive God, designed to know God. It has to change the way we start to see the world. And God said through Abraham, God said through Abraham, I will bless the whole world. And and it took this much time for for Paul and, and Peter and John and James to begin to understand that the world wasn't just them. That this whole thing God had been doing, God is always God. God didn't change they just begin to see the truth for the first time. The scales begin to fall from their eyes, and they begin to understand what the whole story really was. It wasn't the story of God and the nation. It wasn't the story of God and a man. It was the story of God loving the world. He was just moving parts over thousands of years because God sees a story we don't see. And so God understood something that we didn't. He was doing what he does in his way and we weren't required to understand it. And then James, I love that. This is probably the coolest part of the story. James, the brother of Jesus, the big dog, this is the guy running the show. He stands up in the room and he says this. In verse nine, he says, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Don't make it difficult for the non-Jews. And then he said, instead, write him a letter, Tell them to abstain from food polluted by idols, abstain from sexual morality, and from the meat of strangled animals and from blood, for the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So James says, "All right, guys, um, quit making it hard for them. The seven hundred rules let you—that's not working." Let's try something different. He says, so instead, I'm going to write him a letter that says basically this. Don't eat meat polluted by idols. uh, Be sexually pure and quit strangling animals because that's weird and there's better ways to kill them. I don't know about that. That just seems so horrible. Ah. But why did he pick those three things, right? Why did he pick those three rules? It wasn't because he's cherry-picking laws from the Old Testament. It's because the Greeks are pagans. Everybody worshiped something. Nobody worshipped nothing back then. You worshipped a rock or you worshipped a, you know, a sun god or you worshiped the god, but nobody worshipped nothing. And in their practices, sex was cruel. Their their sexual practices included rape. It it, it included torture, it included sacrificing virgins. I mean, this is the kind of sexual immorality he's talking, their food practices were impure. And so he's saying, if I'm gonna combine these people with these Jews who've been taught their whole lives not to eat pork and, and to do all these things, he said, if I don't create some unity, there's gonna be a massive problem. So what he does, listen to this, he asked the new believers, will you sacrifice a little? And he asked the Jewish believers, will you sacrifice a little? Will you all sacrifice a little so that we may create unity for the whole? Wow. That's church. In the sexual ethics he's talking about are not Old Testament sexual ethics. It's what Paul's been teaching in Antioch for years now. It's treat sexuality as God has taught you, love them as I have loved you. So in sex, honor them and love them, and treat them right. That's the sexual ethic of Jesus Christ. That's what he's teaching. So you've got this massive group of people coming together, and they've, they've sacrificed. They're no longer strangling their goat, and these people have sacrificed, and they're all coming together. And he's like, this is 700. No, 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 don't, don't worry about the 700 laws. Just, just come on. So, what does this mean to you? I mean, if I stopped right here and sent you home, you'd always be, oh, okay. That was fun. That was weird. What does this mean to you? So here's what it means to you, in my opinion, because they've had this big meeting about the Old Testament. They've come up. Now they've brought the church together. They're basically saying that for you Gentile Christians, which is everyone in this room, unless you are a first century Jew, which you're not, um, everyone in this room, Here's what the Old Testament, the law, should mean to us. Here's how we should approach the world. Here's the first thing it means. Which of the 700 laws should you keep? This is a question I get. Which of the 700 laws, uh, you know, again, I I like Jesus, but I like pork. I want to be a pastor, but I've got tattoos. Which of the 700 laws should you keep? And I'm going to give you right now, You should, everyone write this down. Here is the law I want you to keep, and not me. Here's the law you should keep of the 700. It's found in John chapter 13, and it says this. A new command I give you, this is from Jesus. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. They're like, okay, what about the other ones? Matthew, summarize it for me. So Matthew in chapter 22, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and all the prophets hang on these two. Are there more? No. Love God with everything you've got and love all of them like he's loved you. Even them. And even them. What about the people on the other side of the wall? Even them. And, and, and this is the ethic of the New Testament Christian. Love God with everything I've got. With all my body and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength. And love you in the way that my God has loved me. And does that mean I will follow some things. Yeah, probably. I mean, Matthew, what does it mean to love Jesus? It means to obey what he's taught. So I need to know, you know, what Jesus taught. And it also means if, if I love God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor my body. I'm going to not eat certain things. I'm, I'm going to practice a, a decent diet, not because I'm practicing these Old Testament rules, but because I love God and I love the temple, and because my, t- my body is a temple of God, so I'm going to be careful what I eat, not out of worry of Old Testament rule, but out of honoring God. It means I'm going to be careful what I put in my mind, not out of worrying about breaking some Old Testament rule, but because I love God. I'm going to be careful about my sexuality, not because I'm worried about some Old Testament law, but because I'm honoring God with my sexuality. I'm going to be careful with what I do with my money and my resources, not because I'm worried about some old, I'm not worried about some percent. I want to honor God with my money and my resources because I love him more than anything. And my love for Christ dictates every decision I make. And my love for you is an example of everything I believe. This is not the Old Testament. This is brand new. Brand new. And it's better. It's better by far. The rules and the regulations, no, no, no. I love my God and everything I do. Flows from that. Everything I do flows from the love of my God. Andy Stanley again. I, I, he he said this so beautifully. In a he said the the new covenant. It seems far less de, far less complicated, but it's far more demanding. That's the truth, man. The new covenant. It's far less complicated, but it is far more demanding. The old covenant. It was easy to justify self-preservation or the preservation of a people or a nation. Find that in the new covenant. In the new command, I may be called to lay down my life for an enemy. I may be called to sacrifice everything I love for someone who hates me. Again, I'm I'm not attacking anything. I'm just saying we should at least challenge what we think and feel. The new covenant is far more demanding than the old. So what else should it mean for me? The second thing it should mean for me is this, is you cannot poke holes in my faith by attacking the Old Testament. If I understand what this, now I believe, hear me on this, I believe the Old Testament is true. I believe it really happened the way it says it happened, because I think Jesus believed it happened the way it said it happened, and if you die and raise from the dead, I'll listen to what you say. But I my faith is not in the Old Testament. So let's, I believe in Noah's Ark, okay? I believe, I believe there was an ark. I don't know how it happened. I wasn't there, but I believe it. But if, if some brilliant scientist convinces someone tomorrow that Noah's Ark was a fraternity prank, and, you know, it was, that was the SAE Lambda Chi's at whatever school, they pulled that off, and they come to me and convince, I still believe in a resurrected Savior. My faith is not in how many animals were on the ark My faith is in a Jesus Christ who died, resurrected, and I know him now. Like I was with him. I'm with him right now. He's in me. My faith is not in a seven-day literal creation story. I believe it, but my faith is not in that. My faith is in Jesus Christ who died and resurrected. And if I find out that seven in Latin really means eight, my faith is still in God. God. I mean, you cannot, and so here's what we're going to do. When someone tries to attack your faith by attacking the Old Testament, just point them to Jesus. Like, well, Noah's Ark, Jesus. We're going to practice it. Well, Christ, Lord, Jesus. Well, that lady, Jesus. Like, you see how effective this is? Every time someone attacks the Old Testament, ah, Jesus, they will stop. Guaranteed, they will leave you alone over, over, don't go away. You cannot shake my faith. You cannot shake my faith in Jesus. And we've got to give our kids a faith that cannot be shaken in Jesus Christ. You can't shake it. Attack Noah's Ark, I don't care. I believe it, I think it's super cool. You don't, okay. Are we allowed to say that in church? I don't know. My faith's not in the ark. I don't think Peter and Paul's faith was in the ark either. I think they believed it. But they didn't get beheaded and crucified upside down claiming the ark was real. That was faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the third thing. And I think this probably is the most important thing I'm I'm, going to say today. Finally, it means this. Do not. Do not, do not, do not, do not. Do not. Use the Old Testament as a hammer to knock someone else in the head. Don't do it. Do not do it. Do not use the Old Testament as a hammer to pound someone else's beliefs, their lifestyle, their choices, or anything else. Do not use the Old Testament as your hammer to attack someone else. You know what? He said, do not put a yoke on them. And by the way, I found out that doesn't mean egg yolk. It's not like that. It's not the runny yolk. I was like, why does... Why are they putting yokes all over everybody? Do not put egg yolk. That's not what it means. A yoke is something you put on an oxen, and it is a heavy burden, and it allows the oxen to carry the entire cart. It said, don't put a yoke on them they can't carry when you can't even carry yourself. So the next time one of us, and y'all, y'all can do this to me too if I do it. Next time we attack someone else for any reason on Facebook, and we quote the Old Testament to do it, I'm going to post on your post and make you tell me which of the 700 Levitical laws you're following. And if you're not following all 700 of them, all of us are going to just type hypocrite. Are you ready for that? Any hypocrites in the house today? I love shellfish. James has got tattoos. I've got two of them. <laughs> I mean, really. we got to get this right, guys. We cannot use this. As a, as a matter of fact, I, I may go strangle a cow today if I get hungry. <laughs> if I was hungry enough and it was between me and the cow, I would strangle him. I'm just saying. I wouldn't want to. I'm just saying we're not under these laws. Our rules are changed and they're different and they're, and they're far more difficult Does the Old Testament matter? Absolutely, yes. It's not a dead document, it's the breath of God and God is alive. Does it matter? Yes, it's the mind of God and we come to know God and we come to see the backstory for the real story. But my story, the story that has set me free is the story of Christ died and Christ resurrected. I wanna know the whole story because I love him. I love my God and I love my Jesus. So I want to know the whole story. I want to know every bit of it. I want to know it all. I want to know what happened in 2 Kings. I don't know why. I just want to know. I want to know because it all matters. And it's all God-breathed and it's all useful for teaching and rebuking and all these. It's all. But if you're going to be New Testament people, live like you know the whole story. Live like you know the whole story. Next time you want to correct somebody and you're going at them with your Old Testament Bible dart, just take that piece of paper, fold it up gently and stick it in your back pocket and just go home and sit on it. It's the best thing to do. What do you do with this message today? I have no idea. (laughs) I really don't. I don't know what this means to you. Uh, For me, it means I'm challenging some beliefs and opinions I have. Where I'm going to end up, I don't know. I, I I don't have the right answer for you. Figure it out yourself. Um, but open your minds and think. Open your minds and think. Be willing to challenge what you've heard. Be willing to challenge what you just heard. Open your minds and think. Know the whole story, and then live like the whole story is real. Amen?